Hello, everybody, and welcome back to At The Hive Live, part of the SB Nation Network of Podcasts. I am Chase, here with my co-host James, as always. Today's episode, we're going to touch on a few things. First, we're going to get to Sam Bassini's NBA prospect rankings individually, touching on our episode last week from the team prospect rankings. We're going to talk a little bit about how James Borrego has done so far as the head coach of the Hornets this season. And then we'll get to the all-star participation and whether or not any Hornets could, should, or would be participating in the all-star weekend festivities coming up in a few weeks. But first, how are you doing today, James? I'm good. Sun's out here. We, we, we even sat outside today, which in February in Manchester, England is, is not something that you, you do regularly. So I'm feeling good. Sun's out always helps lift the mood, lift the mood. Um, had some entertaining games with the, the Phoenix game a few nights ago and then the Golden State game last night. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. I, I'm completely with you on the, on the feeling the warmth and sunshine thing. Up here in Maine, we just got our first few days of that were over 35 degrees and you could actually feel the sunlight on your skin. So it feels good to be able to walk outside for once in the last like six months. But yeah, we have had some really interesting games lately. Uh, and for, most of which have been propelled by the excellent play of LaMelo Ball lately, especially that Phoenix game and towards the end. So in Sam Bassini's prospect rankings that we talked about last week, those were the team rankings throughout the NBA. The Hornets ranked seventh in terms of how good their young core is among the 30 NBA teams. But this week, Sam Bassini posted his rankings for the prospects as individuals, like one through 50, the best prospects in the NBA. Number one, obviously, you know, Luka Doncic, Tatum, Bam Adebayo, those guys are all up top. But LaMelo Ball was number eight on that list. So theoretically, Sam thinks that LaMelo Ball is the eighth best player on their rookie contract in the NBA. Frankly, I would move him up a little bit. But what did you think about that when you first saw it? So interesting, you you move them up. I'm I'm interested to hear what you're going to say. I think another thing worth pointing out as well is you might have heard like what Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum they've signed like contract extensions. Yes, they have, but they haven't started yet. So they still fall into being on a rookie scale contract at the minute, even though they're going to be going on to max contracts next year. Um, Lamelo at eight for me. I've I think it's it's pretty close. Um, for me, I would actually move them up to seven. And as a certain person, I'm pretty shocked that Sam's got ahead of him, uh, if, if I'm being honest. Um, and for me, that was Trey Young, who I think Sam's got at seven. And like, for me, LaMelo does the best things that Trey does. Probably not as good a shooter, but in terms of like the passing creation, and he's a much better rebounder, is a much more versatile defender, and I think could has a much higher upside on that side. Um and like his teammates just love playing with him. And I don't like we've already seen rumblings out of Atlanta this season with John Collins and other players about it being like Trey Youngball. And even though he gets loads of assists, it you have to play a certain style. So for me, that's that's the only one I can really take issue with and think if I was to say who would I want for the next five years of my career, I generally would want Lamelo right now over Trey. And to be honest, I think John Morant's at nine. I would want Ja Morant over Trey as well. Like, and I don't think it's particularly close for me. Um, now part of this is I don't like the aesthetics of watching Trey Young play. Um, the the BS fouls. Um, I feel like he he is able to put up stats through an intel like hugely intelligent, like offensive IQ that he has. 
Um, and like that's not necessarily the way I enjoy to, to watch the game get played. He can make some really fun passes and, and shots. But yeah, I think for me, I'd shift him up to seven. Trey Young, I'd probably slide down to, to nine. Yeah, I, I, I agree that having Trey right above LaMelo, I would, I would just interchange those two right away. But just to give everybody a rundown, one through 10 is Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, Zion Williamson, Bam Adebayo, Donovan Mitchell, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Trey Young, LaMelo, and then John Morant and De'Aaron Fox are nine and 10. I personally would probably bump down Mitchell and Trey a little bit and put Shea and LaMelo over that. So LaMelo would probably be, I think, I guess six for me. Just because, like you said, the passing creation, like that skill is probably better than anyone on that list's best skill. Like like by, by the time that he's in his prime, I don't think that there's any question he'll be at least like a top three passer in the NBA. So that in that alone is is going to carry his value quite a bit. So if the other things fill in like his shooting, which already has picked up quite a bit since he was in Australia, the defense is already better than Trey Young, who's ahead of him. And I, it, that is only going to get better as he gets stronger and becomes more aware and more keen to the Hornets system and just generally playing NBA defense. So I was also a little bit surprised that uh, Lamella was below Trey specifically, but I, I, eight is still very good. I, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not a uh, disparaging Sam's rankings in any way at all. He definitely knows what he's talking about and I don't disagree with his reasoning, but just for like LaMelo's signature skill is better than anybody is on that list. And the, the supporting like ancillary skills around those, like I have a hard time believing that those won't be good enough to make it. So he's like eventually going to be one of the best, definitely one of the best point guards in the NBA and probably one of the best players in the NBA at some point, unless things, you know, trail off quite a bit. Which is, which is just a, still a crazy thing for me to like get my head around as someone who's been <laughs> yeah. on this team for how many years and have just been completely um, out of the minds of the whole NBA fandom media to be like, oh yeah, we're probably going to have a guy who's like a multi-time all-star, might be one of the best guys to play the position. <laughs> it's just like, I, I find it hard to wrap my head around to do that. And like, I was listening to Zach Lowe and Bill Simmons the other day and they both had like Charlotte Hornets as their favorite team to watch. <laughs> I was listening to this thing like I've listened to these pods for 10 years and like Charlotte Hornets has probably got mentioned more this year than they have in the previous 10 years put together. And the, the, I think, I, so I like Donovan Mitchell for me, I would still have firmly over tra- like LaMelo. I, I, he is leading a Utah team. He's the best player on that team. He has been for a few years now. And that team is a perennial 50-win team. And I think for me, like, even if you, like, you look at the skills of Donovan, you're like, he's not a great shooter, okay? He's not great finishing around the rim, but he's really good at everything. And I think you, you put those things together and his team just wins. Um, and I think that's why I'd still have him over LaMelo, but... Again, one of the reasons I moved Trey down is Trey's been phenomenal. His team hasn't necessarily been good. They've been disappointing year on year now while he's been there. And like Lamella, I think everyone thought Lamella was going to be that type of player, didn't they? They thought he was going to be a absolutely like, yeah. put up stats and the team's going to suck. But you look at the team, like Lamella helps this team so much. And this team is, you know, hovering just under 500. And a large part of that is down to Lamella who has he missed a game this year yet? I didn't think. He no, he, no, him, him and uh, miles are the only players that have played in every game, I believe. 
Yeah, so he's incredibly durable and he's played like in every single game and he's he's a big part of what they're doing. So I think for me, that's why I, I still have Donovan over him. I tried to cry, I tried to make the case for Shea because if if Charlotte as a fan base can get to a point where like Shea isn't better than Lamelo, I think like the whole trading him for Miles Bridges and <laughs> draft night becomes just a little bit more like easy to digest. Like, well, it's fine because we've got Lamelo now. And I think if you were to put up a vote, in, in fact, this might be a good poll to put run on out the hive. Um, like, who would you rather have for the next five years, Shea or Lamelo? Who would people pick? And I think a lot of Hornets fans would probably put Lamelo over Shea. But I, I tried to look into the case. I was like, can I can I make the case this year? And I was like, actually no. Like Shea has got his team competing at a level that they've just got no right to be. He's shooting 42% from three and like five attempts per game. He's a better defender right now than Lamelo. Um, like he's just playing exceptional basketball. And he, he he's kind of doesn't have the same feel as Lamelo. It's not as like effortless and natural for Shea, but man, he's more effective right now. And I'm not saying Lamelo can't get to that point eventually, but you know, Shea's just shown added more, added something to his arsenal like every single year. And I don't think he's done yet. So, um, but they're close. They are really close, those two. And a similar kind of architect as a player with like kind of big rangy guards. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I'd probably, to round out that top five, I'd probably bump down Mitchell and Trey and move Shea and LaMelo. Shea would still be five though, for most of the reasons that you said, like, as, and especially because his finishing right now blows LaMelo's out, just out of the water. Like not, and not that LaMelo is not going to get better at it and could be close to him, but He's just so much better with with either hand around over through like he can contort his body in any way. He has all sorts of dribble moves that I'm pretty sure he has invented himself, because if you watch a highlight reel of him, he'll do a lot of things that you just don't see very often on a basketball court. And, like you know, LaMelo does that, too, but he has a lot more room to grow into it as a scorer. And Shea right now can just put the ball in the bucket against pretty much anybody. He'd actually be a good guy for Lamelo to watch because their their games match up relatively well, um, and like Shea's got similar-ish physical gifts. Like there's not many guys who have like the handle and the length that Lamelo has at the point, but Shea's one. He's probably a little bit smaller, but he's not, not far away. So he's actually be a good guy for Lamelo to watch. Not that I think Lamelo doesn't strike me as a guy who like. He very strikes me like he's his own player. Like he doesn't watch other guys to rip off moves. Maybe I'm wrong. Like I'm just judging off kind of what I see out there because he's so unique. Um, but it, but if he does, that'd be interesting. And I think it goes to show like we always talk about how difficult the draft is. Like, oh, like these small sample size. We've not seen him in the NBA. If you look at this top 10 right there, you know, we've got a huge sample size of NBA games. And if the teams that are draft for that top 10 of prospect rankings – I still think different teams would have them ranked in a different order. So it just goes to show like you've got, yeah, I've got Donovan probably higher. You've got Shea higher and Lamelo higher. So even if you did a draft of the top 10 players for like three seasons under their belts, teams would still pick differently, which just shows why the draft is so hard in itself because you've got a tiny sample size, um, at a completely different level. Uh, but it, it just shows there's, there's so much that goes into an NBA game, which is why I think people find it so fascinating, fascinating while trying to break it down. Um, it's, it's really a challenge to, to rank players because uh, environment is just so important. Yeah, it is super hard. And especially like going back to the Shea and Miles trade, like at the time, there was no like indication that Shea would be what he is, especially if he had Kemba in front of him. So like, it, it just kind of it's it's a more mostly unfortunate for miles because 
I feel like he's always going to kind of be like compared to that by like certain Hornets fans or NBA fans that greatly prefer Shea to what Mile has has offered so far. And I don't disagree with that at all. Obviously, Shea is the better player currently, but it's just it goes to show that like you you can't make your like every draft pick based on fit basically or or perceived fit at the time because things change so quickly. But and it also it's unfortunate because Miles has dropped out of those prospect rankings since last Sam did them last year. But at least we had another forward on the team move up a little bit. And that was PJ Washington. Sam had PJ ranked at 36 among his top 50 NBA prospects. That's like pretty much where I would have expected him to be after like a a rough start of the year. I'm like, I'm biased. So I would like to say that I would just have him higher than that automatically because I I would like him to be better than that as a Charlotte Hornets fan. But he's still like a very solid young player like that. that He's uh, probably like we talked about on the last podcast. He's the second biggest young player asset on the team still, I think. And Sam seems had him ranked around a lot of players that have like a similar role than he that, to what he does on their team. So, what, what did you think about where PJ was placed? I think for anyone on this list, PJ is the guy that I think needs moving up um, out of any Devonte and, and Miles, and we'll talk about that. Because when I went through the guys ahead of PJ and thought, who would I rather have for the next five years? Like I could name. I mean, I could name five or six guys that I think I'd move PJ, not just one or two spots, but maybe to 32, 31, something like that. I mean, it'll be unpopular, but Patrick Williams, I I wasn't high on him pre-draft. Um, like, I'm not super high on him now. I would rather have PJ right now than Patrick Williams. So it's just straight up. Uh, Kobe White, you know, a scoring guard, guard's always going to put up, the way the NBA's played now, show me a starting point guy who's not going to put up some stats. Like it's just, you're always going to do it. Rebounds, assists, points. Kobe White is a, I like Kobe White. He's a nice player, but you're not telling me that you can't find that guy in the draft every single year, you know, 16 points, four rebounds, five assists. Like I feel like if you took some of the guys out the G league right now and start them in games, they'd be able to give you that not on the same level of efficiency, but I just don't, I think PJ being a four five who can play both positions can shoot, defend, rebound, and pass. I just think, and, and that's where, you, when you come to like prospect rankings, you've really got to value kind of how hard is it to find that type of player. And I think the, the PJs of the world are much harder to find than the Kobe Whites. And another one even right next to Kobe White at 31 was Derek White at 32 from the Spurs. Again, he's another one I'd say is similar to Kobe White. He's a really nice player. If he's your sixth man, if, you know, whatever, like I think PJ can start on a playoff team and I think Derek White can as well, but it's just a much more replaceable skill set that I think can find elsewhere. Brandon Clark is at 35. That's one place ahead of PJ. Brandon Clark being one of the guys who made first team or rookie last year ahead of PJ. Like Brandon Clark is like three, four years old. I don't want to use now 25, 26. Yeah, he's, I, I think he's 24, but it's still, that's that's old for yeah. And a his second year player. Yeah, and dropped off a cliff this this past year. He, like, he came into the league and people are like, oh, Brandon Clark can shoot now. And now he's just reverted back to kind of the, the shooting stats you saw at Gonzaga. Um, so I, I'd have Brandon Clark lower as well. So I can look at this. I mean, Onyekra Kong, we, we're not really seen him play. He's at 34. I think that's probably a toss-up. It's close, but... I'd be moving PJF ahead of at least Kobe White, Patrick Williams, Brandon Clark, 
maybe Derek White as well. Um, I think he's been really underrated in this and probably due to a slow start of the season. If you took off those first five, six games where he really looked kind of out of shape, um, I think his numbers would look a lot better and Sam would have him higher. Yeah, the first... So that first start stretch of the season, especially if you take that out, he probably, I bet you his turnover numbers would look a lot better. And I, I agree that I didn't know that I noticed that Brandon Clark was the one right ahead of him. They're so, so close in just general, like talent and upside and like overall projection as like a player that you would think that the younger guy that can shoot would get the, uh, like the heads, the yeah. leg up. But I mean, I, I, I it's, uh, 36 is is re- at least reasonably fair. I probably would move him a little bit higher as well over just some certain people that are above him. But having a top 30 prospect at forward is definitely not a bad thing because of the versatility that he provides on both ends of the floor, I completely agree that he'll eventually be some a starter on a playoff team someday. Whether or not that's in, in Charlotte and it's, you know, it's four years or eight years, whatever, down the road, I think it'll eventually happen. Like, people always do the uh, the Spider-Man meme where the, point, the two Spider-Mans are pointing at each other with him and Paul Millsap. Like, I could definitely see PJ having a, a career arc that's, like, very similar to Paul Millsap, just being a like a third, fourth option on a good team for pretty much your entire career. Because right now where the Hornets are already way better than expected and not that he's like a massive driving force behind it, but he's certainly a reason why, like there's no doubt about that. And if we move on to the next Hornet in the rankings, that would be Devante Graham at 42. And that one, I was actually surprised that that was that high, mostly considering his age because he just turned 26 uh, I don't, I was probably a week ago or two weeks ago, maybe I just figured that being 26 would kind of push him down like a lot, but he's, he has been pretty good. And Sam seems to have a lot of confidence in his shooting picking back up, which I completely agree with. I think that it's just, you just got to give him time because this is such a weird season and he's still only a third year player really in his second year because he didn't play that much as a rookie. I think he's just, and also he's hurt now, so that is going to hurt his rhythm again. But even before that, I think he just needed a little bit more time. We had, he had shown that in the probably the six to ten games before that he got hurt, that his shooting was coming back. His pull-up shooting is still really good. He's still a great passer. So I, I definitely think that he is like a top 50 prospect, but I, I was surprised that he wasn't like 50 or 49 just because he's 26 already. Yeah, I think it's important that, like I, I didn't view myself as a Homer Hornets fan. Like I'm, I like to think that I'm pretty straight thinking and I take into account the rest of the NBA. And this is one of those where I would move Devontae down in this prospect rankings list. Like even Jarrett Allen right behind him, he's ranked 43. Yeah. That was the one that I was like, <laughs> that was confusing because he's so much like, younger. He's like three years younger and Jarrett Allen for the Cavs. And even before for the Nets, I mean, he's been putting up great numbers, um, He's someone who I really like. And again, like similar to how I talked earlier about the Kobe White type player, I think Devontae really helps this team and he's really important to the Charlotte Hornets and all the advanced statistics tell you that and looking from the performance in the last kind of three or four games, we can see that. Um, At the same time, like league-wide, his skill set, like I said before, I think it's quite replaceable. And finding a guy who can rebound and protect the rim at a level like Jarrett Allen and finish inside I think that's that's more difficult to find, despite centers generally being more replaceable. Um, I think when you got a high level player like Allen, I'd rather have that. So Devonte is someone I'd probably move down. Um, so kind of if I'd move PJ up a few, move Devonte down a few, 
I think we're probably in kind of the similar ballpark in terms of kind of the net ratings from all these guys. Um, I, I know you touched before on Bridges dropping out. For, for, he was 46 last year and has dropped out altogether. I just find it really hard to have someone drop out of the top 50 prospect rankings who I feel like has got better in every part of his game. Um, and, you know, that's not to say there's a new class of rookies coming in. There's a lot of other young players who could have got even better. And Sam's not said in his piece that, like, Miles Bridges has got worse. I think he's just realizing that Miles Bridges is only ever going to be a role player. And some of the other guys in that kind of 45 to 50 range, like your Cameron Reddish, Marvin Bagley, Rui Hachimura, quickly, they, they could be starters. And I do understand that, but I, I think Miles got a little bit of a rough deal dropping when he's actually just kind of got better in, in every single way. And like, I mean, someone like Cam Johnson, I definitely have Miles up ahead of Cam Johnson because, again, I think the reverse age argument, Cam Johnson's, I think, 25, 26. Miles is still, what, 22, 23 now, something like that. So I, I'd have Miles in there ahead of him. But, yeah, I feel a little bit a little bit harsh for Miles to be outside that top 50. Yeah, it is a little bit. And the I hadn't thought about it in the, the way that you said that he has improved in basically every facet of his game and still – dropped out i do i do get it because some of the rookies that have came in last year like like you you have to put quickly on there you probably got to put devin vassell on there too and guys like that so there are only so many spots but i i would all i would probably put him as well just on like the fringe of the top 50 somewhere just because he his athletic upside as well like if he ever actually pieces together like shooting and off-ball defense and like passing in in like consistently in game to game he will. I, th- I do think he could be a starting level player if he could rope like rope those things together consistently. But that just hasn't happened yet. And like he does them all at certain points, but rarely does it all happen like on one night. Like he'll make a couple of highlight real alley oops, but then he'll have like a bad night on defense or something, or he'll have some turnovers. But I re- that's really been his main issue so far, and that has gotten better this year. So I, I was a little bit surprised that he fell a little bit, but it was only forty six to 50. So there were only four spots that he could have fallen to before just not being on the rankings at all. So there was, it wasn't much wiggle room for him anyway, but I definitely think that he is a top 50 prospect as well. A tiny little nitpick with Sam. They lift, they lift miles as a wing slash forward. Like he's played zero minutes this year. at small forward. Oh yeah. And it was pretty interesting actually on the Buzzbeat podcast that Miles Bridges went on uh, the, other, the other week, which is which is really cool. So shout out to those guys for getting Miles on. I think he said that in high school and college he played like center or power forward. Yes, that was through. that was the one part of that interview that stuck with me the most. Him saying that he'd never played the wing in his life other than at Michigan State or his first two seasons. Yeah, and I think you know <laughs> you can see he's just so much more comfortable like playing that interior game and stepping out. Uh, he comes obviously still stretch the floor, but he's so much more comfortable not handling the ball on the the uh, perimeter as much. So yeah, I, I think you know really he should be listed as a forward slash center. He played some center minutes last night. I mean obviously Vizella being out, but if anything he should be listed as a forward slash center. So just just a little one, Sam. Just a little one. You know, <laughs> let's get the labeling right. You know. Yeah, and him playing so many minutes at the four and improving so much as a player is accredited to James Borrego and the job that he has done as a coach this season, which leads us perfectly into our next topic for discussion. Great segue. I think he's done a great job. Thank you, by the way. I I was working on that one all night. I I stayed up all night planning that one, but I think that he has done like 
I don't you don't want to give anyone like an A plus for, for a team that's like under 500 and like not conventionally like good using air quotes because they're the Hornets like aren't yet they're not going to compete in the playoffs if they make it but like I really want to give him like an uh, like an A like a, a, the strongest A that you can give like they, this it, especially when you take his entire tenure as a coach they have overachieved every every game almost like and throughout the entire three years of his tenure the the, co- the rosters that he have ha- has had have always outperformed especially last season and then this season when you add Lamella ball and Gordon Hayward they they got even better than people expected them to so uh, he just does a great job of putting players in the right positions to succeed and I think that the miles is the perfect example of that playing a lot of forward and center this year last year they probably didn't have the personnel to do that because they had Marvin Williams and MKG and Cody Zeller and Bismack was actually playing so miles couldn't really play forward unless you're going to bench like four different veterans for no reason in favor of a second year rookie who hasn't quite proven himself yet but now like it's it's clear that miles is a four like he he is a big man like putting him at the wing was not going to work and i mean the same thing happened with terry rozier putting him at point guard was not going to work borrego made a change put him off ball and now he's averaging 20 points a game and has established himself as like one of the five or ten best catch and shoot shooters in the entire nba so he has just been a, a revelation for the Charlotte Hornets rebuild. I think it, there are not that many guys that I can think of off the top of my head that would have been like better suited for this rebuild than James Borrego and the mindset that he has as a coach. And I think the knock that people would have on Borrego is he's a player development guy. He's not a win games guy. Just what people used to say about Brett Brown in Philly. Like mm-hmm. he's great for now when you're trying to, you know, help you guys, but he's not going to be coaching the playoffs. Like, the clutch stats from this year, which I know people absolutely ridiculous, but (laughs) I'm just going to read this to you. Right. In clutch moments, the Charlotte Hornets this year, they have an offensive rating of 139 (laughs) in clutch moments. The defensive rating is 87.5. That is just absolute. That would be, that team would beat the the 86 bulls in four games. If if they played (laughs) every game that well, just the that is bonkers like absolutely bonkers and he's doing it without a all-star on his team and there's this traditional way we view the nba is you give it you give it to the guy at the end of the game and he go gets you a bucket like you watch jason tatum with the celtics they give mm-hmm. it to him let my so uh luca does it you know but brago is just completely like reinventing the wheel here and saying no, we don't. We're not just going to give it to someone and let them do it. We're going to run our stuff. And I think a lot of fans used to get angry with Kemba. You know, time and time again, end of the late games, it was just give Kemba an isolation or a pick and roll and let let Kemba go do something. And the times it worked was great. Like everyone called like Kemba clutch. He was a clutch scorer in Charlotte, but of his game winners, he wasn't as good as I think the narrative would suggest that he was. Um, and I loved what I've seen in the clutch so far this year. Um, I put that solely down to coaching because there is no reason this group of players should be so good in the clutch. Borrego runs good stuff. He has timeouts, has good players at the timeouts. He knows how to attack other teams' weaknesses. He gets the team dialed in. Um, credit, 
credit to Borrego. And that's the second year in a row we've been good in close games as well. Yeah. And everyone was saying it was luck last year. Oh, they you know, they outperformed their point differential. That's just going to reset this year. Not really. Like, no, still, not even still close. Performing that point differential. Um, some kind of quick overall figures like 18th in offense this year, 20th in defense, 12th in deflections, which after about the first seven or eight games, I think we were third in the league. So we have dropped a little bit there. Uh, down to 11th for pace, something else that's dropped in, in recent month or so. And I think it's always harder once you've in the middle of the season to keep that pace up. And I think that's something Borrego is going to be focusing on as well. We are fourth in turnovers per game, turnover percentage, which isn't great, but is is actually a little bit down from where we were at the start of the season. And seventh in opponent rebound percentage. And that's the area we've actually really improved. And I think that's when, since Cody Zeller's come back, Earlier in the year, other teams were just getting the rebounds all the time and scoring. Clint Capella, like all those kind of guys were just absolutely killing us for rebounds. Um, to be seventh now with the amount of size we have, team's doing a lot better on the defensive end. And I think that's partially down to Lamelo starting and being able to help a lot of those bigs rebounding. Yeah, that, yeah, that Zeller is another big piece, but the collective effort that they have on the glass is a huge thing for me. They're also before the, before Devonte got hurt, they were on pace to be have one of the best assist percentages in NBA history. Now they're down to third in the NBA at sixty six percent, which I know this doesn't say everything, but it shows you how much Devonte impacts the team just by being out there and completely just agree running well, and just running around. That's agree. all he has to do is just go out there, get his cardio in, because basketball is hardwired into his brain, and he's going to do what the team needs to do when he's out there, regardless of whether or not his shot is falling personally. And if it's not, he's going to facilitate it. He's going to get open shots for other people because he's good enough to do that. And the Charlotte Hornets assist percentage dropping like over 4% in, uh, I don't know how many games he's missed, but since he has become, since he got injured, that is a huge example as to the impact that he has on the team. And because th- this team does not have any above, like many above average one-on-one scorers. Gordon no. Hayward, although he's been kind of a little bit quiet as of late, not really got talked about that much, but um, Malik Monk, you would maybe say. And then after that, if you were talking about like, okay, we're shot clock's winding down. We need to self, we need to self-create something off the bounce. You've not got many guys. And, and that's why those assisted, that assist percentage is so important. And, we've really seen the the value of having Devonte out there because he just makes this team go. The, the pace for the fast break, uh, in the half court, executing, moving the ball, so important. And like they said, he might get back before the end of this road trip. I really hope he does. We just need to pick up two or three, like one or two more wins on this road trip. And I think we can call that a win. It's going to be, uh, I think we've got an opportunity against Minnesota coming up soon. That I think it's going to be important for us to take Sacramento as well. So Hopefully you can get back for those games because I agree, just so important. Yeah, and, and to what you said about the Hornets not having any individually great one-on-one scorers, really, other than Hayward, they definitely don't have any individually great defenders. And for the Hornets to be in the barely below league average while having, a, like, I don't even know who I would say is, like, the best defender on the team. I don't think I feel comfortable naming one because there's so many guys that are just in that, like, average to kind of good area, like Hayward and PJ and Miles sometimes and Devontae and LaMelo even maybe, but they do I not have... Cody Zeller. 
Honestly, uh, actually, yeah, that's a good point. Cody, Cody Zeller is and not just his defense, but the effect he has on the team's defense. Like you saw last night, we didn't have Cody. We gave 131 to Golden State. Like I, I think Cody Zeller is probably both individually as a team has the biggest impact on the defensive end of our team. That's yeah, that's actually a good point. I forgot about him, but I definitely agree because he doesn't like he's not like a shot blocker. He's or a rim protector. He's not going to you know deter opponents from going to the rim. They're still going to try. But with how mobile he is and how quick he can move and just how well that he knows where to position himself to affect shots. That that definitely just affects the game in ways that don't show up on a box score or really even show up like on film sometimes because you just can't tell that what is going on in a player's head while it happens. But Cody definitely gives them a, an added bit of versatility that they just they just can't have with with Biz on the floor or with PJ on the floor. You'd have somebody that's six seven instead of six eleven, so you're just giving up a little bit of size. And and just wait for a normal year when Borrego actually gets to have like full team practices and they're not playing quite as full a schedule and they have a summer league and a summer. He's doing all of this with like the worst prep coming in. So I, I think we're, we're both on the same page. Borrego's doing a great job. It's it's good to see. I think if, if the Hornets finish in the playoff picture, he could get some uh, coach of the year votes. He won't win it, but he, he could get some votes in there somewhere. So it, it definitely sounds like we're on the same page there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next topic, you wanted to talk a little bit about all-star um and all-star participation from some some hornets players um i think you talked about maybe miles in the dunk contest lamello in the skills contest and i think we said in the very first episode that like we don't know each other that well we were starting the kind of podcast together one thing that i haven't told you is that when it comes to all-star i just couldn't care less <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm in the, a similar boat to you especially this year though I just, I mean, I don't care about snubs. I don't care about the dunk contest, the three-point challenge. Like, none of it phases me in the slightest. Like, everyone was so pumped when Gerald Wallace went to the dunk contest to represent the Hornets. It was the most boring, <laughs> like, performance I can ever remember seeing. And, like, Devonto was in the three-point contest last year. It's a bit of a damp squid. Miles won the rising star. By the way, I must say... When they introduced Miles in the BuzzBeat podcast as the rising stars MVP, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, made, that. that made me laugh. I was like, oh, trying to brown nose a little bit right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I honestly don't really care about All-Star. Um, I don't think it even should be going ahead. I think it's a terrible idea. Um, but I just thought I would share that with you before you try and get me too excited about it. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I'm not overly excited about it this year, especially because it's just a terrible, like unnecessary thing to do. Like give these guys a week of vacation. Like they, they have earned it in a pandemic, but you know, Tur Turner Broadcasting Network probably had something to say about that, but it's unfortunate too, because the one that people care the least about is without a doubt the skills competition and the NBA apparently really wants LaMelo to participate in the skills competition, according to various reports on the internet. I, I, I don't know if he will, like I have, I genuinely have no clue, like whether or not he actually cares about those types of things. I kind of hope he doesn't just because like, Number one, it would be funny if the NBA was like, please do this 19-year-old rookie for the Charlotte Hornets. And he was like, no, screw you. I just think that would be funny. But then Lamella or Miles also could be in the dunk contest, which he has already done. So, and I think on that Busby podcast, he said he like wasn't really sure or he has generally just said like, I'm not really sure if I want to do this again, which again, 
I completely understand because if you do the dunk contest once and you don't win, what motivation do you have to ever do it again? Like miles knows he can do cool dunks like whenever he wants, like, and he, he plays for the Charlotte Hornets. Like he's probably not going to win the dunk contest. Like no yeah. matter what happens, he's, he's not a dunk contest dunker. Like, let's just be honest. He's yeah, a, that's yeah. That's part of it. He doesn't like float as much. He, he's a power dunker rather than like an incredible. How did he do that? Dunker. It's like Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook back in when he was younger, people always used to want him to do it, but he wouldn't have been good at it either. Yeah. I, I, I don't think he'll do that well um if if he does do it and like with everything that's going on this year i just wouldn't be surprised if he like lamello miles just want you know what i just want a week off like without without having to get like tested every single freaking day and being quarantined yes the Mm -hmm. only thing that i would watch is like to take take all the guys who can't dunk and let's see if any of them can do it so like dj augustine patty mills guys who like never dunked in their lives i'd see that (laughs) dunk contest like you know, who, who can throw down the biggest dunk of like the six foot and under guards. I think that's what we all want to see. That would, that'd be a nice twist to throw on it there. I, I that you got to send that one into the NBA, but you know, there's not that other than that, there's not really a whole lot, whole lot, lot to do about the Hornets on all-star weekend. Cause you know, it's, it's, it's going to be very boring and uninteresting this year. The, the level of, of interest in the 2021 all-star game is probably at an all time low because as we have discussed, and as pretty much everybody that is is an NBA fan has discussed, it's kind of pointless, but they're going to do it anyway. We'll see if the Hornets participate. I'll probably watch the game. I don't know if I'll like sit at my TV at halftime and like really pay attention to the dunk contest or do the three-point contest or skills before. I will probably watch the game, though. What about you? No, I'm not going to watch it. I, I, <laughs> well, I, it'd, be, it'd be so late for you, too. That's definitely yeah, not what it's staying I, I up don't, for. I, that's not just because it's in a pandemic. I, I don't watch it normally. It's just not It's not something that appeals to me. And, yeah, I'm just not really interested at all. I'd much rather watch a proper... If they tried, I'd actually watch it. But to, like, watch something where it's, like, an exhibition, I'm just not interested. Yeah, I completely understand that. And that that'll with the all-star participation discussion, that'll wrap up the first half of this week's At The Hive Live show. And in the second half of the show, we're going to come back with an interview with special guest, former At The Hive writer, Nick Denning. And welcome back to the At The Hive Live podcast. I am still here with James, and now I would like to introduce our guest for this episode, former At The Hive writer, Nick Denning. How are you doing today, Nick? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Great. So, uh, James, I know you wanted to start this off with a bit of a congratulatory note, so uh, I'll let you take the floor here. Well, yeah, there was a couple of things. So for those who don't know, me and Nick used to host the Lottery Mafia podcast, which is a website that... I founded back in 2012, I want to say, and we did a pod for about 18 months, two years. How many episodes did we get to? 50-odd? We, we, we hit 50 because we made a big celebration episode, did. I remember. I think we maybe, we maybe got to like 50-something after that, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is the first time me and Nick have recorded a pod since then, so, so that's very exciting. And um, I just wanted to start off with a little shout-out, which is actually a, an old kind of podcast regular guest we used to have on was Carter Rodriguez at the time from the uh, time he wrote for Fear the Sword which is the SB Nation blog for the Cleveland Cavaliers and the, the Lottery Mafia website which I founded weird name for a lot of people if you think was actually about covering all the lottery bound teams in the NBA 
And at that time, the Cavs absolutely sucked um, because I think <laughs> LeBron had just left. Um, yeah, that's before he came back. He'd left. He wasn't there. They were terrible. So Carter used to come on pretty regularly and, and talk to us about the Cavs. And I think Carter since then has gone on to have his own podcast and recently has actually been hired or that podcast has been taken on by the Cleveland Cavaliers themselves and is now actually going to be part of their media team, which is which is really awesome. Uh, really happy for Carter. He was always a great guest for us, always made time for us. A very funny moment was when we accidentally sent him a link to a podcast halfway through a trade deadline pod and we didn't know we'd done this. Yeah. So me and Nick are recording the pod <laughs> and this random guy just joins and starts talking and we're like, who the, who the hell is this on the podcast? And he was like, we realized it was Carter. We're like, Carter, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know. You sent me a link. And we're like, oh. And it just so happened that we were actually talking about a Cavaliers trade at the time. Because yeah. they just traded. Who was it for? Who, who did they just trade for, Nick? Can you remember? It wasn't Spencer Hawes involved? Yeah, yeah. Spencer Hawes. <laughs> they just acquired <laughs> Spencer Hawes. And we were like, well, Carter, you're on now. Like, you might as well. You might as well stay for a little bit of Spencer Hawes chat. Um, so yeah, I just want to do a quick shout out to Carter at the start of this and I, know, uh, I was really happy for him. And I know this is an audio podcast, but James, I wanted to show you this little piece of oh, merchandise. Wow. <laughs> so I don't know if, um, this is the, so for those who obviously can't see this, I'm holding up a hat that has the lottery mafia, mafia logo on it. So when James and I moved on from the site, we handed it over to Gabriel Allen. Um, he ran it for a little while and, um, he actually made these hats and he sent me one of these when him and his dad co-wrote like a book. They just self-published it. And so he sent me the book and sent me this hat with it. So it's actually been used. I've used it a few times when I've been out like hiking and stuff. Um, I've retired it since. But um, yeah, anyways, I figured you might might enjoy that little that little thing there. <laughs> I'm not, now I'm just devastated. I never got sent one. Right? <laughs> I, I know. I, I was like thinking like how like you're the founder. You should have gotten one, you know, like <laughs> You should, you should see if he has any extras. Um, I'll have to, yeah. And for yeah. those who don't know, the Lottery Mafia pod, um, logo was a basketball with like a little Mafia hat on made by yeah. a guy called Rob Juden at the time. So shout out to Rob. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, but yeah, we, we shouldn't spend too much time on the old podcast. One is, one is the surprise I wanted to had for Nick was, um, can you remember who used to introduce our podcast, Nick, at the start of the pod? <sighs> Oh man. Um, so I went was, to NBA. Yeah, I it was a player. To, yeah, was, I went to NBA London and yeah. the Nets and the Bucks or the Hawks were playing at NBA London. And I managed to get a player to record to introduce our podcast. Can you remember the player? Oh man. I, I if, as soon as you like, it'll come back to me as soon as you say it. But I mean, he, he was fairly, I mean, he was a role player, but he was fairly. It was fairly, the most lottery, like, yeah, like the most rubbish player you can imagine. It was Andre Blatch. <laughs> oh God. Of all the players, he's like the perfect for like the lottery mafia, which is about the bad teams in the NBA. He was right. the perfect guy, like overpaid. Um, like by the time I think the Wizards gave him a big contract. Yeah. He was at the Nets at the time. He was just absolutely awful and ended up playing overseas in the Philippines and became like a big star. But uh, Andre Blatch used to introduce our pod. Um, which I, which I thought was, I just, I'd forgotten about that till I went back and tried to do some research and I was like, Oh my God, it was Andre Blatch. So yeah. anyway, enough, enough lottery mafia talk. <laughs> the got loads of stuff we're going to get through today, Nick. Um, one of the things we wanted to start on was you like me were very skeptical on the Terry Rosier signing. Uh, there was recently a, a thread of tweets where we were all outing our own terrible, uh, our yeah. criticisms of Terry Rosier signing. So I just want to talk a little bit about, 
what what kind of how you feel about Terry now um and then also Chase like I don't think we've spoken about this before be interested to get your thoughts on what was your thought on the, the Terry is signing at the time as well yeah for for me I kind of viewed it as like a necessary acquisition because I, I don't think Kupchak wanted the team to bottom out. So he said, well, we need to get somebody that's competent enough to replace Kemba. I don't think they were looking to, you know, replace what he did, but you know, okay. He was relatively young. They had to overpay for him. Um, I was always like, you know, I, I know that tweet I, I, I outed myself, but I always kind of felt like, well, I don't think this is going to be as disastrous as other others, you know, felt at the time. Um, but it's, it's pretty remarkable how he's gone from just like just a stopgap type of player to that doesn't really move the needle to like, I think at this point we could be having a conversation as whether or not he sticks past his current contract. Like, I think there's a, he could be a, a longer term piece than he, than we initially thought. So yeah, he's, he is really, I think proven everybody wrong. Yeah, and I, I was one of those guys. And the reason I was so against Rosier signing was more about I thought he was going to help the team win games that they shouldn't. And last year they did. They mm. finished what with the eighth, ninth worst record, but yeah. it didn't matter because they jumped up in the lottery. Right. So, like, if, if that hadn't happened and we had drafted, I don't know, Denny Avdia or yeah. Devin Vassell, like, all of a sudden, like, the outlook on this team, I think, is probably pretty similar to how it was last year, maybe plus mm-hmm. Gordon Haywood. Um, so I, I think the negative that I, side that I associated with the signing, it didn't matter because he moved up in the lottery. So now I, I do view it as it's well now. It's just, it's good because he's helping this team win. Um, and this team's got some real momentum in the next couple of seasons. Yeah, I, for one, I just need to put this out as a disclaimer. Tara Rozier is my favorite player in the NBA and he has been oh. for quite a few years. Okay. Before Charlotte? Yeah, so uh, I live Why? in Maine. Because I live in Maine. When he was doing doing this thing with the Celtics in the playoffs, the scary Terry thing, I, I just like he just seemed like the coolest guy in the world. And then I watched a video of him and his signature sandwich that he makes for himself is spaghetti and cheese on bread. So I was like, this guy is like the greatest person that has ever lived. So I just he became my favorite player like immediately. But I do try to be as like unbiased as I can. When he was signed to the Hornets, I I also thought like they overpaid for this guy, but the Hornets have not really ever signed a contract that you don't think they probably overpaid for this guy. So in a way, I was like, that doesn't really matter. Uh, But I did not. I expected him to be good because I because I liked him mostly. But I also like I think he got like a little bit of a bad, bad shake in Boston because he was a like a like probably like their eighth or ninth option off the bench. And he was clearly better than, than that type of role. So I think that last season just kind of got to him and he didn't end up playing very well. And they fizzled out in like that terrible season with Kyrie Irving. But when he came here, he, the point guard experiment started off terribly, which was the same as it ended in Boston. He's not a point guard, but Borrego turned him right into a shooting guard. Now he's one of the best shooters in the NBA. That skill seems like it's going to carry him throughout the rest of his career. And like what you said, Nick, I completely agree that it's way beyond the point of being like, oh, wow, they overpaid for this guy. It's like, oh, wow, they might have to pay a little bit more to keep yeah. this guy the next time, the next time that they he's a free agent. Like, I think in his last year, he'll make 18 million if he which is next year. If he does what he's doing next year, even like on a slightly smaller scale, there's no way he's not making 20 million dollars a year. Right. Yeah. 
No, well, absolutely. Could, could, couldn't Charlotte, Charlotte extend him? I think so, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you the bird rights things works, but yeah, you can only extend. I think up to uh, over up to like twenty percent of the current deal they're on. So if he's on like eighteen a year, you could probably maybe go up to like 21, 22 on an extension. I think that's how it works. So and that's not nothing that I've ever heard like anyone speak about before. But yeah. that's a way to stop him ever getting to getting to free agency. It's certainly something they should consider if they if they have the ability to do that this summer um because they're gonna have cap space and they already spent you know they already made their big money you know free agency signing with with hayward um yeah kind of like what you're saying um chase you know this is like he's like moving to shooting guard was huge um and i think he's just kind of representative of a player that has been misidentified his whole career if he was six four right? People would have put him at the two guard from, from day one. And I think we'd be having a different conversation about him earlier on. Um, but he's always been undersized. And so, you know, I think he played point at, at Louisville too. So it's just kind of, you know, just f- figuring out what his best role is. And, and we've obviously found that, um, you know, it's funny, like, I know we're, you know, we'll do this much later. My, my initial bold take, you know, when I was thinking about this was like, I think the Hornets got the better end of the deal with Kemba and and that Kemba sign and trade. I don't think that's all that bold of a prediction at this point. I mean, I, I love Kemba. Like Kemba's like my favorite player, like on the flip side of things. But you know, just looking at the contract and his health, and you just in the way Rozier's playing, it's like he's he's worked out, you know, what much better than I think probably even Mitch Kupchak anticipated. And I I agree. Like looking now, I agree with you. Um, Kemba's knee has obviously been the difference and if the knee issue isn't there but like, let's not pretend he didn't have any issues in Charlotte yeah. I think he had like off-season knee surgery I feel like in three years three yep. different years he was in Charlotte I googled it recently and his first off-season knee surgery was in 2015 I believe so yeah that's and it it's was a like long an, time it was like an annual thing you could just book, yeah. you could book it in like each summer <laughs> um, I still think the way it went down with Kemba yeah. was was unforgivable and and yeah. I was very angry about that. I'm, I'm not, I never, I always said, it's not that the decision is wrong. It's how it's happened where they've basically told everyone it's a number one priority to resign him. Yeah. They then didn't resign him. Did they not only not resign him? They offered him like a pretty insulting amount of money. And then it was all leaked ahead. Like of time, he'd already like signed in Boston before free agency even began. Like the, the whole thing, I, it, it, it was just really poorly managed. I think, um but in terms of like straight outcome i have to i have to agree with you right now if this team had re-signed kemba to that contract instead of having terry like we we'd have a lot we wouldn't have gordon hayward on the team right now no yeah and i just think like it it, i I, i'm with you that that like the way it was handled was not good i think cup check you know, did not look at it in a very emotional way. I think if Cho's, if Cho was the GM, he signs Kemba. He, he gives him the super max and you would understand it. Right. But like, that's his, that was his best draft pick. Like you, you understand, you know, he's the franchise leader and everything. I think Cupcheck just kind of was in a no win situation where he looked at things and said, you know, this guy's had multiple knee surgeries. It's only going to get worse. We've been fortunate enough to keep him relatively healthy, but you know, how long can that last? And so I think, again, it's, it wasn't a great move publicly, but he offered him a deal just to offer him a deal, but I don't think he expected him to, to accept it. And that's, you know, again, it's, it, it is borderline unforgivable, but it is at least 
worked out for the team in a more objective, you know, stance. And just to touch back on the renegotiations for Terry's contract, I've just looked it up. You could go up by up to 8% of his current contract. So he's on 18.9 this year. So you could get him up to like basically around 20, 20, just over 20 uh, okay. a year, which is, which is pretty, you know, pretty like you saw the stat in the Golden State game the other night. I think like Joe Harris is the only guy shooting better on catch and shoot mm. shots in the NBA. Like he's shooting better than Steph Curry, who's wow. the greatest shooter to ever have touched planet Earth, in my opinion, <laughs> uh, over the game so far this year. So, um, yeah, it's it's really interesting. The inter- like if Devonte wasn't ever here, let's just pretend Devonte doesn't have those like breakout games when who got injured, who got injured, and Devonte had to come to the starting lineup last year. It was a uh, Dwayne Bacon. Yeah, Dwayne yeah. Bacon. He got injured. Devonte came in and ran point, and Terry moves the two. Let's say Dwayne Bacon. This is parallel world here. Let's say Dwayne Bacon had a great year. Okay, Devonte Graham plays with the G League last year. Do we think Terry's here is point guard right now still? Do we think we just go through the growing pains or do you think they would have figured it out without that kind of push into it? I don't know. I feel like the push was kind of necessary almost because who... It's just like with David Lee and Draymond Green in Golden State. Yeah, like, exactly. Like who would have played David point Lee, He got injured. Draymond Green forced in and like everyone was giving Steve Kerr credit and he was like, I was going to play David Lee. <laughs> like, <laughs> he, got, he got hurt. I had no choice. Yeah. <laughs> he got hurt. Yeah. And I it, it, like, we have to give Borrego credit because he's evolved from just not just being like an off the ball play to being an elite shooter. Yeah. But it, it, it's so interesting how this could have played out differently. Yeah. I mean, I want to give, I want to say like, I want to give Borrego benefit of the doubt because I feel like he's been able to find good roles for a lot of the guys in the team. But at the same time, it's like kind of what I said earlier, someone, you feel like someone at some point earlier before like last season would have figured out, hey, Rozier should play off the ball more. He should catch and shoot more, right? And it just, that didn't seem to happen until until he got the Charlotte out of necessity. So I don't know. That's that's a really, uh, it's it's a good thing. To, it's nice to think about. And I'm glad we we don't have that scenario. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I guess it would have been nice if Dwayne Bacon did work out, but I don't know what, 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 I don't know what Dwayne Bacon working out here is or looks like. So I don't know. <laughs> and I don't know if we get LaMelo, if that happens yeah. as well. Like I, they, cause yeah. if Dwayne Bacon has a good year and presumably Devonte is just like your backup point guard, that team last year is probably like slightly better. So yeah. they might probably don't jump up to number three. And now that not, the only thing that we care about at this point is that Lamelo Ball is there. Any past event could have changed in whatever way. As if it ended up in the Hornets still picking third, that's that's fine. <laughs> Didn't the history of the Charlotte Hornets start on a, on draft night when Lamelo was drafted? Isn't that what happened? <laughs> but yeah, the Charlotte Hornets were established on a, <laughs> yeah, some random day in October in 2021. Yeah. <laughs> no, All right. Well, everything else doesn't matter. Moving <laughs> up here, um, Nick. We've obviously talked before. I you got some good kind of stories to tell, maybe a little bit about Buzz Peterson, the, the Hornets assistant GM. Do you want to kind of tell the folks a little bit about your interactions with Buzz over the years? Yeah, so um, I went to college at uh, UNC Wilmington and from 2008, 2012. So I was a student basketball manager for the men's team for those four years. Um, Buzz was hired by Wilmington um, for my junior and senior year. So this would have been, yeah, 20... Um, 2010 or 2011, 2012. Right. Um, 
anyways, uh, so I got to obviously work with him on a day-to-day basis. I've, I've followed, you know, I've kind of kept up with this, with, you know, what he's done since obviously moved to the Hornets after leaving Wilmington. Um, yeah. So I got to, I got to interact with him a lot. I got to, you know, we, we were, when he was hired, we all knew about his connection with, with, with Jordan. Um, he was, you know, I, I just, just working for him. He was very easy to work for. Um, he definitely, you know, it's, it's, being a student manager, you're doing a lot of just menial grunt work. You know, you're, 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 you're feeding balls to players. You're wiping up sweat off the floor. You know, it's, 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 if you're, you know, if you're trying to get into coaching, it's, it's like, you know, ground, it's like the, the, the way in, in if you're not a player. So um, that wasn't something I was interested in. I just loved being around the game and being around a team. Um, but yeah, he had, you know, I, I, I got, one thing I tried to do and I was very largely unsuccessful with was to kind of get, like Bobcats or Charlotte snippets out of him. Um, but he was always very coy, which I think is probably why MJ like, you know, trusts him and, you know, continues to do that. Right. Um, but I don't know. Did, do y'all know that he actually worked for the, the Bobcats bef- like once before? So he had like a, a gap where he, between college jobs um, and he worked as, I think it was player. I have it written here. Um, it was like, sorry, I'm, I should have this off the top of my head, but he was just like director of player personnel or something like that. But he had to report to, I think the head coaching or the coaching staff. Um, so he briefly worked for Larry Brown and I got, always got the sense that like, he didn't like, he found working for Brown kind of difficult. Um, I'm shocked. And, right. right. <laughs> I don't think he's the first person to maybe say that. Yeah. I mean, James, we, we talked about this together, but like the whole, like, you know, Adam Morrison's like, you know, podcast appearance. I can't remember the name of the podcast. Rejecting the screen. I think it was rejecting the screen. Yeah. Um, talked a lot about just how bad a fit Brown was for him. Um, if I think anyone listening should go check that episode out. Larry Brown didn't believe in asthma. <laughs> he yeah. was like, "You need your inhaler? Screw you! No, like just go out and play on the floor." And Adam Ross was like, "No, because I'll die." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, So this kind of segues nice into this, I guess, because so um, Brown was fired in twenty uh, twenty. I can't remember the exact date, but the night Larry Brown was fired, um, we were on the road, um, and it was I think we were playing Campbell, and it was right before we left for uh, holiday break. So we we won the game. Everyone is in a really good mood, and I check my phone and I see that you know Brown's been fired, and so I see you know I see uh, Buzz just just kind of by himself. He's packing his you know back in his bag or whatever, getting ready to leave. So I walk over and I said, "Hey, coach, I said you see uh, you see Larry Brown got fired. What do you think?" And and he just he shakes his head and he goes, "Man, I told Mike not to hire him." And like <laughs> it was just. This, <laughs> I was so taken aback by it. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. And he didn't really elaborate or anything like that. Um, but I think, I think we knew that Silas was going to be the replacement. And so I kind of mentioned that and, and he, I remember him saying like, he thought that was a good, good hire and whatever. And, um, but yeah, so that, you know, that kind of told me all I needed to know. I mean, again, maybe it was, I, I know they go back because of their UNC connection, but um, yeah, it kind of speaks to what others have said, I guess. Yeah. Um, and didn't the didn't the Bobcats used to go down for training camp at UNC Wilmington or something like that? For for one for one season, um, they did it. I think it was actually Buzz's first season. He got that negotiated. Um, so they were very um, they were very tight on like you know like like rules wise. Like you can't you know we couldn't be in there while they were in there. You know, but there were some periods where we like 
like they were practicing right after us. So we would be moving stuff out, maybe moving stuff in. Um, so this is when I had my experience where I, I, I was leaving the gym. I opened the door and suddenly a Mecca Okafor is walking towards me and he's Big holding man. this giant, giant medicine ball. And so I just was like, so taken off guard by it, but I managed you know, to hold the door for him and let him through. Um, I watched Ryan Hollins warm up. Um, you know, that's former, former Bobcat, great, uh, Ryan Hollins. <laughs> right. Um, one, one night I was doing, uh, team laundry. So when I usually do it, I stick around the locker room, um, do homework and stuff, but I knew they were practicing. So I thought, let me just see if I can sneak, you know, get any glimpses. Um, so as I'm walking towards the gym, I run right into Rick Bunnell. So that was my one, one experience with Rick. He looked uh, tired, which I can imagine. It's late. It was late at night. I'm sure he wasn't staying in the nicest hotel. Um, and then they had a they had an intra-squad scrimmage that was open to the public, and there may have been all of maybe a couple hundred people there. <laughs> it was kind of a sad sight. That's the that's the normal attendance for a Bobcats game, wasn't it? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but um, and I remember I think this it clicked for me just kind of the state of the Bobcats at the time because I went out like outside the arena. They put a they put a PT cruiser decked out with Bobcat stuff. And the, the players that were focused on it were like Raymond Felton, Matt Carroll, and like somebody else. And I was just like, man, these are our, these are our franchise, you know, guys right here. You know, it was, no, it's uh, wasn't it Sean May? Didn't he used to get like featured I, yeah. along with Felton a lot of time, the UNC connection stuff. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. I think he was the third. So, um, but yeah, no buzz. I, I, I'd say the other thing about Buzz that always that I always remember that made me laugh was he he is a huge Starbucks like just loves Starbucks. Um, and uh, on another occasion we were on the road we were in D.C. and we were wrapping up like a scouting report um, session and so we're cleaning up this room we're in and, and Buzz asked me to go get him you know something something from Starbucks they had a they had, you know a store like in the hotel we were staying in. So he gives me one of those gold cards. I don't know if you're familiar with the gold cards where you just like put money on it. You, you can earn rewards and all this stuff. And uh, he says, yeah, and get yourself something too. And I'm like, okay. So I get his drink perfectly. Like fortunately that I did not screw that up, but I didn't realize that when he said, get something for myself, he meant like a specialty Starbucks drink. Um, so I just get a regular coffee because I don't drink any of those things. Um, and so when I run into him to give him his drink, we're both riding up an elevator together. And it, had, it was one of those elevators where the doors, you know, shut and there's like mirrors in front of you. So hand him his drink. He takes a sip and he's like, ah, it's perfect. Thanks. And then he, he looks at me and he goes, well, what'd you get? And he was like, earnest, like he really wanted to know. Right. And I was like, oh, I just got a regular coffee. And I can just see his face, his expression in the mirror. And he just starts like, he just scowls and he's <laughs> and, and he goes, he goes, that's it. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, like, what do you, anyway, so he, you know, make sure you order something good when, you, when you're around them, but I'm sure that hasn't changed. You don't really lose your Starbucks uh, addiction, but. Um, yeah. No black coffees around Buzz Peterson. That is for sure. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> I, that, that, this, I learned, is why, this is why we've got you on Nick is for this, this, this insight into right. the inner workings of the Charlotte Hornets. Right. You know, it, 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 you can, you can see, you can see the, how, how is what his thinking is now, you know, he's, he's, you know, not a Larry Brown fan, not a black coffee fan. Right. You know, it's, it's, that's, that's, that helps his decision-making, but it really did all point towards the man of ball. It was so obvious, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, um, I, I well, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, obviously you used to knew, you knew a player who played for the Hornets mm -hmm. summer league team. Yes. Um, which is a very exciting at the time, which is right. Keith Rendleman, which 
when we used to talk, we used to, I always used to get an update on Keith Rendleman because yeah, tell, tell people about the Keith, Keith Rendleman story and his summer league experience. Yeah. He, um, he uh, played for, um, played for them in, it was Frank Kaminsky's rookie year. Um, he didn't get a whole lot of playing time. Um, I asked him about it afterwards and I, he kind of felt like they, they were, they kind of concluded too quickly about whether he was going to fit with them or not. Um, I think he felt like he didn't get a fair shot. Um, but he has, he did play, um, overseas. He played in Korea, France. He had a nice stint in Germany for a bit. He's not playing right now because of, of COVID and he's, he recently became a dad. So that's, I think, um, also, uh, influencing things. Um, he hung out a lot with Troy Daniels. He had really good things to say about Troy Daniels. So, I mean, we've all, I, I mean, I think we're probably all, everyone's a Troy Daniels fan. So it's, you know, he, he can support, support that. There was, um, there was a brief moment there when we thought, my God, like Keith Rendleman, Nick's mate could get like signed by the Hornets. This could right. be, this could be our way into the organization. Like right. get everything. Right. Yeah. He like played like two minutes in summer league and that was <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. we were watching the whole time. Like he's going to play any minute. Yeah. And he just never did. He never, yeah, he never did. And um, it was, it was strange. I mean, like, I think he's a like the type of player he was, he was definitely a tweener and it was back when tweeners weren't as, you know, well liked as they are these days so i think if he had if you know like Devonte kaycock's a good example also went to uncw um of a guy who you know just high energy player very athletic rebounds the ball well you know like i think today like like the lakers obviously loved him in summer league and, and the g league um i think keith may have had a, a fit better shot to, to to stick you know not necessarily with the hornets but maybe with with somebody um if he was you know played today i guess and you touched on Troy Daniels earlier. It's really interesting because one, one of the topics we've got are kind of like, what are some of your your best and worst moments of fandom as, as a Bobcat slash Hornets fan? And one of mine that I was going to say was the Troy Daniels three in Sacramento in that like miracle after midnight, which was just yeah. like, I remember I watched that game live for some reason. I don't even know why. <laughs> it was like 4.30 a.m. by the time it finished over here. Um like that was that was an absolutely insane one. The Eric call, Eric Collins call is amazing, and like that whole game was just nuts. Like, what are some of the what your kind of best and worst moments to, to both of you guys uh, that you can kind of recall off the top of your head? Um, well, kind of like yours, James. One of my favorite moments is was Jeremy Lamb's game winner like a couple seasons ago, and it was just because of where I was like. I, I was at, I was, um, I'd gone out to dinner, so I hadn't really watched the game and I was with my cousin who's a big Hornets fan. And so afterwards we were just hanging out in this outdoor space. We were, I think we were eating ice cream or something. And, um, he, he sees the games close. So we put, we turn it on on his phone and, you know, mind you, we're like, there's a lot of people around us. Cause everyone's just kind of hanging out and enjoying a nice, you know, like spring evening or whatever it was. And, and, um, lamb hits this shot and we just, we just lose our minds and we are just yelling, <laughs> and, you know, in front of all these people. And like, and everyone's just so confused. I'm sure there are a couple of people probably worried. Like, why are these people just going crazy? I think I'm yelling, like, we're like, we're going to make the playoffs. We're going to do it. You know? And, and, um, and my, like my wife, that's like, just, she's like, calm down, man. Like you are just freaking everybody out here. But it was, it was just such a cool, like just fun moment to, to, to experience, I guess, that way. Um, and then, you know, obviously Lamelo getting drafted is big. That's, that's always going to be, um, I mean, hopefully it, we, we, we reminisce on this 10 years from now and go, man, what a, what a moment that was. Right. So um, Chase, what about you? I mean, the Lamelo getting drafted is definitely up there for me. 
I haven't been like a how, like how worried a, were you at the time that they wouldn't pick him? Because me and Nick were on a Zoom at the time. We watched the draft together, and we were both like freaking out. Like you know what it's like in the draft, and the pressure like like shit. They're not going to pick yeah. him. They're going to pick on Yekka or Kongwu. They're going to like do something stupid. They're going to do something so hornety. And like I was, I was freaking out. What what were you thinking at the time? Were you just like celebrating? Like yep, mail it in. It's done. Well, when see when the the Timberwolves picked Edwards one, I was like. Okay, because there were there were like at least some rumors that the Warriors were considering Denny Avdia at number two because they didn't know like what they wanted in terms of like an upside player and Denny could help them win now and blah blah blah. But at that moment when Edwards was went one and then the Warriors were basically picking between Wiseman, Lamelo, and whoever else, I was like, man, if they don't pick either one of Wiseman or Lamelo and the two mm-hmm. of them are there, I, like I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to actually sit and watch it because like I, if they had if they had put me through that suspense and then had picked like Wiseman or Okongwu or something, I may have died. I may have just passed away in that, in that moment. But I, I, once uh Wiseman went to, I was like, okay, they're like, I had enough faith in Mitch Kupchak as a general manager where I was like, there is just, it's just not possible for him to, to mess this up to this degree. And he didn't to his credit. He, he made the, the unequivocally correct choice and it's working out pretty well for us so far. But other than that, like, that Terry Rozier game that he had, I know I don't, I did, they didn't win the game, but when Terry Rozier went back to Cleveland uh, for the first time, not with the mm-hmm. Celtics and scored like, I think it was 40. I think he had finished with 41. So that was pretty cool. Cause he had like a ton of family in the arena and like every back when people could go and watch sporting events, but he had a ton of people there that were like rooting for him. Cause he's from Youngstown, Ohio, which is nearby. So that was pretty cool. Basically any, cause I haven't been following the Hornets as closely as you guys have for as long. So I don't have like, like any moments that are from pre like three pre Borrego basically. So it's mainly just, just buzzer beaters against teams that they should not have beaten. And then Lomelo. <laughs> yeah. There, there aren't many moments before the Borrego. Yeah that's, yeah. that's a good point as well. <laughs> I was going to say, you probably got the same list of moments that me and Nick do. <laughs> the, I'd say the one the one consideration I'd say is is game five against Miami in the playoffs. Um, oh yeah, that's yeah. a good one. I mean, I think at that moment I felt like the sky was the limit for that team, you know, and it just felt like because we had no business winning that game and, it, and we were up three two in the series, and I was just like, man, if we if we take this series, like, what does this mean, right? And um, obviously, it didn't work out that way, but that, in Wade, that moment, it was, it was pretty great. Go Dwayne Wade, Dwayne Wade hit like. Went to the moon for like six for eight from three in that series, and he'd hit like three all year. Or yeah. so it was ridiculous. Like he just suddenly became a three point shooter. It was maddening. It so just it just shows how like important a, a, a player of that caliber can be, and the difference. And I, you know, it's like you're kind of seeing that with Lamelo. I mean, we we don't think of him as a good shooter, and yet he's he's made some pretty clutch shots already. And that's just. You're like, man, could you imagine when he's actually had a couple years under his, you know, under his belt in the NBA? It's just, it's, it makes it pretty encouraging, you know? I think worst moment that I can remember, and I think it will always be the the worst moment. I can't, well, let's hope it is. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Is when we slipped in the lottery, uh, the Anthony Davis lottery. And I was, the lottery is normally like 1 a.m. or something, like 1, 1 1.30 a.m. our time. And I'd actually was at university at the time and was on the way back from like the summer ball, which was like the big end of year piss up type thing. And I was on the coach waiting to go back, absolutely wasted. And I managed to somehow <laughs> get the, the, the stream on my phone while I was waiting for the coach to go. 
And we saw we were down to the last two and I saw Charlotte's logo come out at number two. And I remember I just started hitting my head against the, the seat in front of me on the coach. She's like shouting, no, 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 no. <laughs> and everyone around me is like, what the fuck's wrong with James? Like, like, the big people in England, are, you're, you're like, oh, the Charlotte Hornets didn't get a good draft pick. They're like, like uh, you, don't, you don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Nick remember this. I think pre-draft, I said Anthony Davis is going to be a Hall of Famer. I, I yeah. said this and I went yeah. on the record and like, I was so on, on the Anthony Davis bandwagon and... You were that right. Was, Look at that. <laughs> that was the worst moment. I, I remember, I because I was a little bit drunk, I did like have tears running down my face. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I wouldn't normally cry at that kind of thing. I just want to make it clear. But at the, at the time, I was like, managed to get in touch with my emotional side. <laughs> I mean, after going through that season, you can, it's oh. understandable. I mean, it's, and then, you know, I mean, it didn't help that we took Gilchrist over Beal, but you know, that's, that's a whole other thing, right? Um, yeah, that's definitely on one of my worst moments. I'd say for me, actually, it's the first Hornet or Bobcats game I went to. Um, I was able to find the actual box score. So here's we'll go down a, a memory lane here. Oh, great. Um, it was December 29th, two, 2012. Um, it was actually my wife, then girlfriend's birthday. She We went to Charlotte to visit her brother, and she actually said, hey, let's go to a Bobcats game. And I wasn't going to say no to that. So and was that when you agreed to marry her? That's, that's <laughs> what I knew, right? Um, <laughs> And um, so anyways, it was the Charlotte Bobcats versus the New Orleans Hornets. And it was Anthony Davis's first game back after an injury. Both teams were awful. They were both, they actually were both seven and 23 after that game. And um, the Bobcats were up double digits at halftime and lost by three. And, um, oh, what's the, the, some of the, uh, I, I actually lost the box score here, but I will say that, uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist led the Bobcats in scoring with like 22 points. So, I mean, I guess at that time we were thinking, Hey, maybe this guy will work out. Um, I bet after that game, everyone was being like, you know what? MKG is better than Anthony. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> well, Davis only had uh, eight points, I think eight points in the game. So, Hey, you know, he won the, he won the matchup that night. Um, but definitely didn't win the war, won the no. battle, but did not win the war. No. Um, Akeem Warwick had a double, double. Um, oh God, if you want to remember a, a former former player, Syracuse yeah. legend. Yes, absolutely. Let, 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 hey, he led to he got us uh, McBob. So that's that's uh, at least he came out in some value in that case. But yeah, afterwards we we obviously celebrated um, my wife's birthday, and um, you know James, like you, I got a little little you know had a few drinks, and we had to, we walked by the arena on the way back, and uh, my friends still joke with me about this, but I just decided, I just started yelling at Time Warner Cable Arena and I just, just yelling how bad the team sucked and how they needed to be better. And, and then like, they basically had to just like, take, like, just pull me away because, you know, they were like, you gotta just, you know, again, calm down, Nick, right? This is just, you know, like. <laughs> you were waiting for the arena to yell back and it, right, it hadn't right. happened yet. <laughs> right. So um, yeah, that was, that was, you know, you, you want your first game to go better than that, but um, it was, uh, you know, I've, I've fortunately seen some wins since. I don't even know if I have like a worst worst Hornets memory other than just something like that. Like because they they you guys are, are are right in that even when that before the the Borrego era, every even if it's like a good or bad memory, it's nothing like overly spectacular. Like even the bad things aren't like no overly horrible. It's just bad. Like right. you know what I mean? I've got one we can all share, which is the Hornets losing to the Bulls last year. That, uh, there we go. That's it. Yeah, that, that might be my worst one. <laughs> we were up like 10 points with something like 
80 seconds to go and we somehow lost the game and turned the ball over Zach Levine just like killed us but that was that was bad that might be one of Eric Collins best calls too even yeah. though it did not work out in our favor when he yells <laughs> you're kidding after Levine hits that three you can tell that he was like face palming like not even watching the game anymore I, I actually can't share in that moment I didn't watch it live I I I I, I caught it afterwards and I was like and I think I had the same reaction of Eric Collins. Like, you're, you're kidding me. Like, how of course you do this, though, right? Yeah. Well, again, hopefully better times are ahead. Well, before we get out of here, Nick, just wanted to, obviously, you used to write and you used to edit at the high for a couple of years. Um, just wanted to check if you had, like, any, any favorite moments, any kind of funny moments that you can remember from your time at the Hive, um, any of the writers you work with now who kind of have moved on and done anything. Yeah, just wanted to hand over to you, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, my first season writing was uh, Lance Stevenson year. So that was what, 2014, 15. Um, the, my, probably my favorite moment was more so just the entire 2015, 16 season. And not because we, I mean, making the playoffs helped, but that was just a very good group that we had that year. Um, you mentioned like, like, like Chris Barnwall who went on to write for CBS sports and I think does some stuff for up rocks, Russell Varner, who, um, you know, continues to be part of Hornets Twitter these days. Um, you know, and there are a lot of others. I mean, I can't that, that I, you know, could name in this sprite, but we all just were really dialed in that year. It was a lot of fun working with them. Um, and I felt like, it, you know, making the playoffs was kind of a reward for that. Um, I mean, you all know what it's like, you know, doing game recaps and game previews and all the kind of, you know, all that stuff where you have to kind of put a schedule out and all that and all that just to make sure every, everything gets done. Um, so it was, it was a fun season, but probably the funniest moment also was that season just because that was the year of Jeremy Lin. And so, you know, you deal with, with some, you know, some Lin fans who are a little bit, you know, they're, 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 their viewpoint of Jeremy Lin is different from, from our, obviously ours. And, and I was that's always, a, pretty, that's a very political way to put it. Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was always pretty positive about him and I, mean, I still am. Right. But there was one game. Uh, it was a late game that we lost um, and we, we turned the ball over like over 20 times. So in my game recap, I emphasized turnovers killed us. And I wanted to use a photo of, um, of a player turning it over. I felt that that was appropriate. The only one available was Jeremy Lin turning it over. So I post, I, I write the, I write the recap. I post it, it goes on Twitter. And suddenly I'm getting these like messages from this, from this Lynn fan who is accusing me of, of perpetuating a conspiracy theory that Jeremy Lynn is, is turnover prone. And I think I was just like, it was like a tipping point of having to deal with, with this kind of insufferability all, you know, for months. And I just, and I just started like defending myself on Twitter. And I like literally, it literally got to the point where I took a screenshot of like the Getty images that are available when you're, when you're creating an article. Right. And I was like, Look at these images. There's nobody else turning it over. I had to use Lynn. Do, do not accuse me of this. And like, you know, people in Slack are like messaging me like, Nick, just give it up, man. It's not worth it. And I'm like, no, I'm seeing this through. <laughs> and <laughs> so it, it made for a funny, like in retrospect, funny, uh, funny memory. But um, yeah, it was, I, I really, you know, I enjoyed writing. It was definitely a great experience to write. I, I, I stuck with it longer than probably I, I anticipated doing it. Um, so it's, it's fun to be back on a, at the hive podcast as a, I guess, an alum of the site. Yeah, it's, it, it's been great to have you on, man. I, I really appreciate it. I didn't what was the site called back when they were the Bobcats as well? I always, I forget the name, but it was a great name for a blog. I do remember that. 
uh, Rufus, Rufus on fire. I think that is, yeah, is, that is brilliant yeah. at the hive and Rufus on fire. That is like, uh, if, if any name team that has changed names, those are definitely the two best, uh, SB nation Shout out to uh, Ben Swanson, cardboard yeah. Gerald, um, yes. at the time he used to be the site manager then and now works the Denver Broncos, I think. Yeah, he's, doing he does, stuff. He, um, he does he social was, and photography for them. Yeah, yeah he, no. was, he was big in the early like Bobcats Twitter days. Like He was probably like the biggest Bobcats writer really at the time, yeah. outside of like Rick Bunnell, but uh, kind of like the internet writer, right? which right. is now the, the common place for a lot of us. Yeah, he was he was like the like fan fan writer, you know, he was the unofficial mm-hmm. writer that that we all kind of aspired to be, I think. Um, yeah. Definitely, you know, I mean, reading him back in the day was kind of the reason I wanted to like write for at you know rufus on fire at the hive but um he left it before i before i started um with them i guess to another shout out if we should go even further back but shout out to bobcats planet where i think all of this started i think that's where i james you and you and i both posted there that's how you found me um so that's that goes way back i mean jesse debolt you know who who works for the hornets i think posted on there when he was you know younger than i mean he was probably a kid right but yeah that's how, um, that's how he he used to make like signatures and profile photos yep. for people's profiles on Bobcat's Planet, which is an old school forum. Yeah, uh, back in the day, and he now freaking works for the Hornets, which is which I met him when um I went over in New Year's last year, which is just like that's really cool to see like someone who was a fan of the team growing up and is now like you know living yeah. the dream and, and playing and working for them playing yeah. for them working for them definitely. <laughs> I don't them, yes. I don't think Jesse would make it on this Hornets team. One, one more injury and they're gonna have to put him out there. Yeah, <laughs> Bobcats teams he'd make it, but not the Hornets. Right, right. Yeah. All right. The last thing that we're going to make you do yeah. before we let you out of here, Nick, every guest that we've had so far has to give a bold prediction. What would you give for your bold prediction for the rest of the Charlotte Hornets season? So in order to upstage myself uh, many years, my boldest prediction to this point is non-Hornets related, but James knows it very well. Um, for the lottery mafia, I once wrote that Larry Sanders would be would one day be a defensive player of the year for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, and then I think a year later he decided he didn't like basketball anymore and just retired. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> so to try to outdo myself on that, I'm going to make the prediction that the Hornets will, will finish at least the five seed in the East. Oh, um, okay. Here's, yeah. So this is obviously bonkers, but let me just, let me just try to support myself here. Um, this season has been so unpredictable and crazy, but yet the Hornets have managed to get a lot of good fortune go their way. And because spots like four through 10 are so tight, what I predict is going to happen is that a lot of this is going to be decided by, um, by tiebreakers and probably on the last day of the regular season. And so I could easily envision a scenario where Charlotte is within a game of the five seed, but they're probably like seven or eight. They win their final game some other games go their way and suddenly they find themselves fifth. And I, so it's not necessarily because I think they are the fifth best team in the East. I just think it's, this is like, if there's any, if there's any opportunity for, for good things to continue to happen to them, it would be like this. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, again, who knows if they even do anything in the playoffs, they could even not make the playoffs. Right. But um, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with it and we'll, we'll see what happens at the end of the season. That's a good prediction because I think with the win last night or against the Warriors, they would have been fourth, but when they lost and now they're 10th. Yeah. So that, that I like, I think that <laughs> that could definitely end up being a situation at the end of the year because they also, the last two games are against the Knicks and Wizards who will presumably be in that region with them as well. So that's, yeah. I, I like, that's actually they're thinking outside of the box with that one. I actually, I like that a lot. That could very well happen. 
when we play, ended up playing Miami and we finished the sixth seed, that was also yep. That was all. It was also really, really similar from memory. I'm just trying it to was, find this. Trying they to had find the same record as now. us. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Um. We finished with the sixth seed with 48 wins, and Miami finished with a three seed with 48 wins, and yep. both the Hawks and the Celtics also had 48. So going into the last day, like we could have finished between third and sixth, and ended up basically finishing at the bottom of the pile. But like that was exactly right. the same kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, that was obviously a, a more normal season. So you could easily, I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, there's so much unpredictability here. Um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Well, I, thank you, Nick, very much for coming on and, and being a guest with us. Uh, I'll give you the, the floor now to promote yourself and give, give the people uh, where to find you on the internet. Well, if you want to, if you want to find me, you can find me at Nick Denning on Twitter. Um, I typically only tweet during Hornets games, so which I mean is pretty on brand for me um, in terms of using Twitter. Um, and that's really about it. I mean, I you know I don't write um, anymore at this point. Um, I mean, I've thought about getting back into it, but it, you know, so just follow me on Twitter um, and uh, go Hornets, and let's hope uh, let's hope things work out for us this this season. I uh, appreciate having you on, Nick. No problem. Yeah, thanks, man. Hopefully everything works out. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in to another episode of At The Hive Live. I am Chase with my co-host James and our guest Nick, and we will see you next episode.